Welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 11. I'm Tommy. And I'm Jim. And I'm George. And we're glad you could join us today for the December 2006 episode of AmateurLogic.tv. Uh, we've got uh, several things here to show you today and to talk about. I tell you, we're a little late this episode. Uh, <laughs> it's been kind of yeah. busy. Yeah, we're also, as you can tell, doing something a little bit different for this episode. And that has a lot to do with the season and the uh, amount of free time left to everyone at this time of the year. A little geographic location challenge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Tommy, it's no different for him. <laughs> a little bit different for me and George. Yeah, it is. So uh, we decided that we're just going to try... Uh, doing a Skype show all the way around. Of course, uh, hopefully, if all goes right in the editing, you're going to be looking uh, at what was captured on the tapes, but we're communicating through Skype to do the show tonight. Yeah, good old Skype. Comes through. Let's get a couple of emails out of the way. We've had really a lot of emails back up here over the uh, past few months. And there's no way we could read them all, but we do want to read a few of them. Here's one from uh, Mr. Laverne, we'll call him. Hey, I have some 450-volt amp APC UPS battery backups that I would like to put to use around the house. Those are a good thing to have. We have a lot of power outages on my block. Is there any reason I couldn't use a UPS for a small 40-watt lamp, cell phone charger, electric blanket, 125-watt? and our electric water pipe warmer to keep pipes from freezing. Well, Mr. Laverne, uh, yes and no. The 40-watt lamp will work great. Probably the cell phone charger will be okay, but I don't know about the 125-watt electric blanket and the water pipe warmer. Those are going to draw a lot of current, and I don't believe I would try it. It's possible that one or the other could work, but I'd stick with just the 40-watt bulb and the cell phone charger. Tommy, you got any emails? Yeah, I've got quite a few emails. I think I've had more this month than I have all the rest of them together. Um, let's start off here with one from Sean. It says, hey, Tommy, your segment on night shooting was great. I have a suggestion for another segment, and, is that, and that's choosing a digital camera, whether it be point shoot or SLR. I have a point shoot. I'm looking to purchase an SLR. I want more control over exposure, focus, etc. Keep up the good work. Yeah, Sean, um, actually, that's the topic that I was going to do this month, and then we had a sudden weather change, and I decided to capitalize on it. So look for that in, uh, in an upcoming month. Uh, should be actually this coming month. I think we'll probably do that one. I'm really looking forward to that. I, I... I'm interested in buying a new camera as well. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that one, but uh, I couldn't wait any longer. It's Christmas time, and I, I had to go ahead and buy my wife a camera. I hope she doesn't watch this before Christmas. <laughs> 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 well, let me uh, cover a couple here. It's uh, one from our friend Leandro. I hope I pronounced that right. And he says, Hi, guys. I just wanted to say that you're doing a great job on these videos. I'm from Brazil, and your IPTV show is one that I see every month. Thank you, Leandro. It's people like you who keep us doing this every month. And uh, one other real quick. Uh, this one comes from an amateur radio operator. It's Gary, and I believe he's in Australia. 
And he says, first, thank you and the guys for the Amateur Logic TV broadcast. I found out about your show from the Solder Smoke podcast. And he had a question. He was uh, asking about our Cantina episodes and our testing, and he wanted to know what we were using for monitoring the signal. And, uh, Gary, what we were using is a program called NetStumbler. Uh, you can find it for multiple operating systems, I believe. And uh, it's available at www.netstumbler.org. Jim? That's right. The Mac version is called iStumbler, lowercase i. Okay, well, yeah, I have another one. This is from Cameron. He says, hi, guys. I'm a big fan of your show. I had found it a few months ago and watched the episode with the Wi-Fi site in the woods. I think that was episode one. And I just recently rediscovered your site in my bookmarks, and I'm going through and catching up on all your episodes. Just wanted to say, wow, your show looks good and is informative, and it's now on my regularly visited IPTV sites. Well, thanks, Cameron. Uh, yeah, we've probably, we hope anyway, come a long way since episode one, and uh, hopefully things look a lot better now. <laughs> Glad you're a viewer. Episode one was a little bit rough, but it sure was a lot of fun getting started. Boy, it was. It's a, it's a wonder that there was an episode two after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I tell you, we always have fun every month, and we learn a little something new. Tell yep, me. Sure. My turn? Yeah. I've got several here, like I said. Um, I've got one here from Dave. It says, Tommy, keep up the good work. I always wonder why my camera would pause after taking long exposures. Now I assume it's doing the stuck pixel correction, although I don't see a way to turn this off on my camera. I also have an older camera that doesn't have this feature. Do you think it's possible to manually do the subtraction by taking a reference black picture along with the long exposure one? I assume the errors are due to small manufacturing defects in the CCD and form a fingerprint signature to my camera that shouldn't change over time. And he's exactly right for the reason. And uh, I did a little digging and found a link to some software. Then I uh, emailed it to him. But I haven't heard back whether he's tried it yet or not. Hopefully Dave will follow up with us and let us know how that went. Boy, he was really doing some thinking. Good thinking. And I've got another email here. You know, we get quite a few about the subject of Wi-Fi. I don't know why, but uh, we do. Anyway, uh, this one came from Sean, and he was asking, uh, why don't we build a second cantina and see how far we can get with two of them and try doing some uh, actual useful work with them. Well, we actually do have two, and we've talked about this and just never been able to do it yet. But uh, perhaps one day we will. He also asked about making an omnidirectional Wi-Fi antenna, and while I don't need one myself right now, and I don't know that Jim or Tommy do either, uh, perhaps one day we'll try that. Well, Tommy, uh, how does a Mississippi boy get along in Missouri in uh, the middle of the winter? Under three feet of Man snow. With a lot of, <laughs> yeah, with a lot of coats on. Well, it wasn't quite three feet, but uh, we got a big load of snow dumped on us, and it's more than I've seen in the whole time I lived in Mississippi, which was over 25 years. Wow. Um, we got probably 12 or 16 inches of snow in some places that's not drifts that's out in the middle of the in the middle of the yard um it's pretty wild uh, i uh it kind of threw uh put a damper on my original photo tip 
segment episode that I was going to do, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, and uh, I decided to do it on uh, cold weather tips for photography. Hi, I'm Tommy. Welcome to another episode of Photo Tips. Well, this isn't exactly what I planned on doing my episode this month, but seeing how I woke up and all of a sudden it decided it was going to be winter, um, it seemed like a great opportunity to do a segment on digital photography or photography in general and cold weather conditions. Um, let's go right on into it. The main thing that we need to worry about for your camera is the power source. I would recommend two batteries. Um, if you, if you saw last month's episode and you saw the star trail pictures that I did, it was about 20 degrees that night, which for for a lot of places in the country, that's pretty mild for coldness. Um, anyway, the one long exposure completely drained one of my batteries. Uh, luckily, I had another one. I keep it on the inside of my pocket, on the inside pocket next to my body so the body heat can keep it warm. The first battery wasn't completely dead. Once I warmed it back up, it came back up to a full charge. So it's important to have two batteries if you want to continue shooting in the cold weather, or at least take your battery out and warm it up often. But anyway, I, what I do is, is keep one next to my body, keep it warm, and swap it with the one that's been in the camera that gets cold when it starts to look like it's going down. And you can shoot for a pretty good while like that. One of the other problems is if it's snowy weather, you need to be careful about your exposure. If you remember back or go back and view one of the previous episodes, I believe it may have been in the second one of Photo Tips, we discussed basic exposure um, and exposure compensation. For a refresher, exposure compensation is basically either letting in more light or decreasing the amount of light to adjust your exposure based on the reflectance of the scenery. Uh, if you remember the camera's meter adjusts your scene to be 18% gray so your snow is going to come out gray instead of white. To get white snow you would let more light in. Uh, average one, one third to two thirds stop depending on the rest of your scenery. We've got some trees in the background and so forth so it wouldn't take quite as much. Um, there's not a hard fast rule about that. It, um, two thirds or so is a good starting point. Take your picture, check the histogram. That goes back to another episode of Photo Tips. We discussed uh, checking your exposure using the histogram. Um, anyway, it's some, a lot of opportunities for some great photos when, the, when it's snowy like this. Let's take a look at a few samples that I took and let's discuss the exposure compensation and the results from it. Okay, well, let's start off with the first sample. This one is just a straight exposure. The camera determined the exposure by itself and no compensation was used. As you can see, the snow is pretty gray. Let's move up to the next one where I increased the exposure by one third of a stop. Yeah, that's much better, but still not quite there. Let's go two thirds of a stop. And this to, this to me is a pretty well right on the money because there's some shadows and brightness in there. You've still got texture in the white part of the snow. And I went ahead and took one more, one full stop of exposure compensation added. And you can see there's a lot of detail in the trees, but the areas of the snow where the sun are hitting, there's no detail left. So that's a tad overexposed. 
the uh, two-thirds exposure uh, additional exposure seem to be right on the money to me okay let's review our cold weather tips number one be sure to check your exposure when you have a snowy scene uh, use your histogram when you preview and uh, if your histogram is bunched up to the left or to the right your your exposure is definitely off carry plenty of batteries and keep them warm any batteries that you're not using at the time keep them in a pocket near your body so your body heat will keep them warm and you should have batteries last for quite a while and one that we didn't mention earlier was if you're coming in and out of the cold weather and your gear is cold when you hit that warm room condensation is going to form on your lens and your circuitry of your camera and that's not good for your equipment so one way to keep that from happening is to put your camera in a ziploc bag and seal it up and bring it on in until it warms up to room temperature and then it's safe to take it out without causing any problems well as you can see it makes a big difference when you adjust your exposure based on the the scenery um, the two-thirds is good I had a lot of uh, dark areas in that scene as well so it's not the same as taking a picture of just a plain blanket of snow which you would normally wouldn't do that anyways uh, I tried to choose samples that were a real basically a real world condition um, anyway it, there's no no uh, substitute for experience so get out take some pictures have a good time if you want to share some maybe send them to me uh, tmartin at amateurlogic.tv and if we can we'll try to put a few on show some of them uh, related to some of the photo tips that we've done in the past if you can um, tell me which photo tip you picked up the tip from and used it in some of your photography I'd like to share that with some of the other viewers um, as always if you have any comments or questions tmartin at amateurlogic.tv I want to thank all the viewers that sent all the email in from the last episode uh, the long exposure uh, photo tip episode was uh, obviously a big hit and we've got some more fun stuff like that coming up um, I'd hope to do something different this month but the, the snow came a little unexpected and I hated to miss the opportunity on that so anyway get out take some pictures and have some fun and anyway let me know if you want to share some on the photo tips episode in an upcoming one I'll see you next time Tommy cool tips man uh, I've heard of keeping your buns warm, but never your batteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really that like that. Though. I really like the tip about uh, putting your camera in a bag to keep the condensation off of it. Uh, I would never guess that, and you know, I used to be a cameraman at a TV station one time. So. <laughs> yeah, you probably it probably wasn't that cold in there. We didn't have Ziploc bags big enough for the cameras we used to have to carry. <laughs> Yeah. I got an email from my friend Joe, who's a fellow ham, and uh, he was talking about um, the episode that I did uh, some soldering tips in. He wanted to uh, pass along this link to everyone uh, from soldering.net. There's some other excellent soldering tips on here that I'm sure everyone interested in soldering will take a look at. Even some uh, surface mount soldering tips on there. I haven't looked at them all myself, but... Uh, I actually plan to. Now, Jim, uh, what goes up must come down, so <laughs> we're talking about putting solder on a board here. You're talking about taking it off. Uh, right. What do you got for us? Well, it's a little segment that we're entitled, we're calling uh, 
parts recovery and it has to do with uh, harvesting old or used parts off of out of some used or old gear <laughs> welcome to let's see what crazy Jim can come up with next uh, this is a little something that I saw and I actually heard on the uh, QRP reflector echo node link uh, QRP-L I think uh, Mike KL7R of Solder Smoke which is a good program by the way go out there and www.soldersmoke.com and give it a listen uh, either mention this or uh, I, I definitely know it's attributable to him I can't remember if I heard it directly uh, might have heard it on the program Solder Smoke Anyhow, uh, basically what it consists of, or what we're talking about doing here, is taking this propane torch that you see, firing it up, putting it to the back of this printed circuit board that has a lot of capacitors, resistors, inductors, what have you, and heating up the back really good, and then... Uh, I think Mike said bang it against the workbench. Uh, we're going to try <laughs> a little something different maybe. We're going to, our, our thought there is we're going to bang it into this box and uh, maybe not sling anything into the camera lens that way or onto my legs. Uh, I'm wearing shorts today. You can't really tell. At least uh, they're kind of stuck up under the table right now so maybe they'll be okay. So George, I was telling him, and he said, uh, better wear long pants. <laughs> so, let's see if we can get something to hold this thing, and, uh, and we'll have a go at it. Let's see if I can show you a close-up, and so you can kind of get a, parts, a look at parts on there, how many we have on there now versus how many we'll have on there in a minute maybe I don't know okay so here we go for all of the action heat things as evenly as possible <laughs> over the back and that's one reason we started off with a small board <laughs> maybe if we add a little more flame I don't mind telling you I'm a little bit nervous when it comes to the thunking against the box part. I don't think I don't think parts are going to go flying everywhere. Uh, okay, I'm starting to hear cracking noises from the board. I'm thinking that's not a good thing. I'm thinking maybe I should be wearing some kind of protective eye shielding. Okay, here we go. Oh, starting to emit things from the board. I heard something come off. Uh, a transistor and a capacitor. Hmm. I didn't hit it very hard. Let's see. I saw some solder go flying, but I didn't hear any parts come off. Oh, a miniature flame up there. Not spectacular results. I would say that's about as good as we're going to do without catching things on fire. 
and we netted a transistor and a capacitor. Now, round two, we're going we're gonna to try a little something different. We're going to try to, because we didn't have very much success with that, we're going to try to do a little uh, yanking and pulling. Okay. Can't leave that board too still for too long. <laughs> I think uh, maybe we better not do our yanking and pulling over the... Uh, Okay, I, I see some parts that are really loose. Oh yeah. Several more came out. No pulling yet, just... Uh, see this resistor down here is just shaking. Okay. Uh, we, did, we did better that time. So uh, maybe we were expecting results too fast. Maybe you have to heat a little. Wait a minute, heat a little more. Wait a minute. Let's see about this big capacitor. Yeah. Your temperature's about right for part recovery. Uh, move quick and you can get a lot of things. Voltage regulators, power resistors. Yeah. Transistors. Okay, he really tried to get me. <laughs> Came down right in the chair there. Relative to solder wick or solder suckers, uh, I'm going to say at this point that uh, this makes for much better part recovery. Much better. Uh, the, the banging against the desk or the box is effective, but I think more effective is a, is a little tugging on the, on the larger parts, larger pieces. <clears throat> Small pieces stay hot for quite a while, and so you can just really pull those right out of there. Whoa, okay. Uh, try not to hit your uh, your propane torch. <laughs> Thereby knocking it over. You know, <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty. It truly is, isn't it? I'm thinking now that uh, maybe some kind of clamp device for the uh, propane torch would have been a good idea. <laughs> so in the space of what, just uh, less than five minutes, we pretty much cleared, let's see if we can give you the close-up shot here of the, uh, what the board now looks like. You can compare that to the before shot. Here's what the back of it looks like, just in case you're interested, where the uh, <laughs> where the torch was being applied. So all in all, Mike, good tip. Oh yeah. After all that, I, I forgot to say the most important part up front. Boys and girls, don't try this at home. Wow, Jim. <laughs> I'm surprised. I. I I, I swear, I hope your wife doesn't watch this episode. You you won't be allowed to use a torch anymore. <laughs> yeah, she she pretty much doesn't know I was using it that day. 
Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be allowed to do it, period. Just, just stop right there. Yeah, well, uh, you got good, good insurance? <laughs> no, that's the problem. So, yeah, she's got to keep me alive. <laughs> well, after try, I, try and keep it structured that way, yeah. <laughs> you may want to check your house insurance, too. <laughs> after I initially saw that segment you just did, uh, you know, I really had to go out and try it myself. So I had a little board here at the house. And uh, sure enough, uh, if you go out there and uh, slap it just right, parts will fly everywhere. Yeah, huh. that's what you were telling me is that uh, I think, or either we talked about this now, I don't remember if you actually did it or not, but we, uh, we looked at the heat embossing guns. That, yeah. Uh, that that were on some of the websites. Cash Olson's website. He describes some surface mount soldering techniques using a uh, heat gun. And I, didn't you try some part removal using one of those, or did we just speculate that that might be a good idea? Well, I actually uh, tried the little heat embossing gun. Here's uh, here's the gun. And what I did is mounted up uh, some surface mount components, some chip resistors and such. And uh, while I was heating it with the hot air there, I noticed that the color of the solder just started to tinge a little bit. I could barely tell that it had changed. And once that happened, I was able just to uh, take an old acid brush and just wipe everything right off the board. <laughs> like nobody's business. However, now that was on surface mount components, on through-hole components, regular old soldering stuff, yeah. uh, it, it wouldn't get it hot enough. The heat gun oh. just would not heat it up enough, at least not in my experience. It's interesting, a little difference there. Yeah. My next email is from Wiley. Hi there, I just finished watching episode 10, and, and I was interested in your segment on nighttime photography, but I found it hard to understand how it's possible to have my digital camera take exposures of two minutes or more. Can you please show the rig you're using for your photos and maybe go through how it would be possible to extend the exposure time of the photos? I'm aware of the CCD technology is possible to extend to 15 seconds or so, but I've not been able to do much more than that. I've also heard that software will allow you to layer short exposure photos to get, in effect, a long exposure photo. Maybe you could explore this too. One thing that's always Taking my interest also is telescope photography. Maybe a series on how to interface your camera to a standard telescope. Anyway, I thought I'd send a few ideas for you to mull over. Those are some great ideas. The one about the telescope has always been very interesting to me. Um, we could probably show how to couple it to the to the telescope, but to take uh, long exposures of the stars and so forth you usually need a tracking device for your telescope i don't have that hardware and uh, as far as the software for layering the short exposures that's a great idea also i'll see what i can come up with on that and i i sent wally back some information on using the cable release for the camera already so cool cool yeah maybe one day you will have the tracking device because we started playing with some uh, robotic parts around here. Yeah, oh, that'd yeah. be cool. It's yeah, been a lot of fun. Us, yeah. We've recently got into playing with the basic stamp modules and uh, quite interesting. They're a lot of fun. Really yeah. inexpensive, too. 
Oh, you yeah, can get everything cheap. you need. The kit, yep. put it together. It's very simple. I put mine together, and I'm not nearly as experienced as uh, someone like George is with a with a soldering iron and all. But uh, oh, I think I put mine together in maybe a couple of hours tops. Yeah, and, real neat. Uh, so, what you can do with them? Yeah, about thirty bucks. Uh, we're all already doing things like uh, turning uh, DC servo motors, turning a pot or a uh, potentiometer, and having the DC servo motor track your your turning of that. Uh, so have you done that experiment yet, Jim? No, but I know that you have. <laughs> <laughs> You'll enjoy it when you get to it. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm looking forward I, to putting mine together. It's still in the box. I'm yeah. still making mine flash the LEDs. And uh, <laughs> right now I, I have it flashing the LED, and it's uh, sending Morse code. The, uh, I've written the basic program to uh, send, my, send my call sign in Morse via the LED. So... You put I that can up hold on your it tower? out the yeah. I can hold it out the window, or climb my tower at night, and hold it up, and it can be seen for oh houses and houses away, wow. like three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Unfortunately, know was... none of not any of my neighbors know CW, so they just think I'm crazy. <laughs> uh, as another first, I thought I would go for our first shortest segment ever this month. <laughs> Actually, I had hoped this would fill out a little more time. It didn't. There's just not a lot you can say about it. Um, everybody remembers the Dixie Cup and the strings. So oh, yeah. this like takes it into the electronic age. Sometimes you just need a cheap communications method, and just like two Dixie cups in a string, uh, you can do the same thing uh, with electricity. And you've probably already got everything you need to do this with. All you need is two cheap telephones, uh, a 9 volt battery, uh, some connectors and wire. Let's take a look at how you put this together. Looking at the diagram, all we do is simply connect the two telephones and the 9-volt battery in series. And we've got instant communications. This type of communications project is handy for uh, quick communications to the basement, perhaps upstairs, another room, even another nearby located building. As a matter of fact, you could probably go a few miles with the wire. Uh, it's also handy for entertaining the kids. Just connect up your two telephones and your battery, and you're ready to go. I'm sorry. I think you have the wrong number. All right, George. Man, that's a cool and inexpensive intercom trick. I never knew that. I never knew you could do that. Tell me, what do you think about that? I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I had a friend of mine, Jack, we tried to do that a long time ago. Never did find the schematics for it or figure out how to hook it up. But uh, I know now, although it's a little bit late for the project I had in mind, it's pretty cool to know. You know, okay. if we could stretch a uh, telephone line between you in Missouri and us down here, it might take a little bit more than a 9-volt battery, but I, I, think, I think it would work. 
think, George? <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. It might take a little more than nine volts. It might take two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you can uh, also do that same exact trick, and, and instead of using two telephones, just use two little speakers, and it'll work. Is that right? Sure will. The speaker acts as both the microphone and the speaker. Yeah, it does, so it's not great, you know, but it, it does work. Really? Yeah, sure it does. That's so, interesting. Well, Ooh. part of my uh, family is going to be out of the country this year, so we had a little early uh, Christmas celebration, a few of us did, back around Thanksgiving. I got a real neat little device here. I want to show you this uh, little Sony MicroVault Tiny. It's a little USB memory key I got. It comes in a little holster here. Check that out. 256 cool. megabytes. Oh man. I haven't got around I haven't got around to trying it out yet. <laughs> but I'll tell you why the instructions scared me just a little bit. Yeah. I I didn't know. <laughs> When I get time, I'm going to read it. Does that come in 47 different languages? I think so. <laughs> Make this thing as massively popular as possible. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a Sony. No baloney. Is that what they used to say? <laughs> oh, used to is right, yeah. Oh, they still make pretty good gear. Jim, yeah. what are our listeners wanting to know? Well, Joe, our buddy, sent us in an email and said, uh, Hey guys, thanks for mentioning my email and video contribution on your show. It made my day. Joe, glad to do it. You just keep sending in those emails. Plus, he's also uh, telling us about a simulated RF environment that's online. It's called www.qsonet.com, and that's spelled Q-S-O-N-E-T.com. It's a voice over IP service with a ham radio dashboard. It looks like you're looking at a ham radio when you get to the site. You'll see. It's pretty cool. It's uh, a lot of uses can be uh, a good option for hams who are traveling without their radio or if they're handicapped or restricted from RF for some reason. I went out and checked out the site. It, it really uh, looks amazingly good. Alright, I have one more email here from John. This is a pretty long one so I'm going to try to paraphrase it just a little bit. But it says, wow, you guys have really nailed it. Thanks for taking time and putting together such a fantastic video presentation. I really can't believe there's a show out there that covers my three most favorite passions. Ham, um, ham radio. I've been a ham for a little longer than a year and just recently upgraded to general. Photography. I'm an analog fan, having my own black and white dark room since I was in high school. And of course, electronics. I'm formally trained EET, my current profession as systems administrator. He said, anyway... If you're trying to think of ideas for our upcoming episodes, how about for ham radio, APRS or packet? APRS combined with mapping imagery was how, how I kept an eye on VHF propagation this past summer. That sounds like a pretty interesting topic. Uh, yeah. For photography, he says how, how one can successfully use the burn and dodge tool in Photoshop. And that's actually an excellent 
idea. Um, I, I absolutely will be doing that one in the near future. Um, and oh yes, the last question, Jimmy, what did you ever use the high voltage capacitors for? Do you have a particular antenna design that called for one or more of those? Yeah, Jim. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, I did have an antenna design that called for one of those, and that is what I'm using it for, and you may see that in an upcoming episode. I have one last email that I'm going to read this time. <clears throat> This one comes from our friend Frank in Puerto Rico. He says, hello, my name's Frank. I just recently bumped into your website. So far, I've been enjoying the programs you guys have recorded. He says, I'm a big fan of building antennas and reading antenna theory. I'm not too experienced in this area yet, but I'm working on it. Anyway, he, uh, his basic question was, he, he had watched the Cantina episode, and he wanted to know if he could make a two-meter Cantina out of a five gallon bucket <laughs> and uh, interesting. you know I never actually did any calculations myself I think it would probably be more along the lines of a 55 gallon drum or bigger to do a, a two meter cantina what do you think Jim? I think that's probably pretty close because uh, well let's see would it even would that even do it? Probably it's not big yeah. enough no <laughs> Because I, I either no, I, I heard about this on another uh, on another show. I believe I believe it was Mike KL7R talking about a guy that was jamming radar guns with a homemade uh, X-band transmitter, and it was a 35-gallon drum with a feed horn. Wow! So that's uh, and that that frequency is way up there. So yeah, hmm. two meters would be like the size of a house. Yeah, I guess be. you could cut the end out of a tanker truck. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. If you could find an old concrete truck, so you could aim it <laughs> and adjust your uh, asthma yeah. <laughs> polarity. Yeah. That's an interesting thought, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be pretty cool. Oh, if, yeah. it would, if it would work, it'd be pretty awesome. Johnny, I, oh, Johnny, <laughs> Jimmy, I know you remember. Uh, our buddy Johnny we used to work with back when we were all into uh, FMDX and back in the 70s. Sure. It was his thought that you could take a, you know, an FM antenna, which is about the same thing as a TV antenna, and put it in a lead box to block out signals on the back of it. <laughs> There's your early cantina design right there. Bingo. Yeah, now it would take quite a, a, a push-up pole to handle <laughs> a lead box big enough for that. But, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Didn't know about uh, wire mesh. Yeah. Well, George, uh, that seems to be all the material we have for this time. Is that right? Well, yeah, I'm ashamed to say that's all I brought this time was a whole minute and ten seconds. <laughs> well, uh, perhaps a tease of what's to come in the next episode is in order then. For me, I'm planning on looking at a couple of free network tools that everyone already has installed on their computer from the factory. Uh, cool. And no matter what OS you're running either. So everyone can tune in for that. Tommy, you got any uh, photo cool. tip uh, teases? Well, I, well, Tommy and I are going to be non-committal. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to hold back and let mine be a secret because uh, I have an idea of what I'm going to do, but 
there's a chance it might not happen, so I'm going to hold back. But it should be pretty interesting if it all pans out. Well, I've been shooting on a couple other projects, but uh, really nothing uh, finished close enough yet that I'm going to say it'll be ready for next month. But uh, I'll try to have a, something a little bit longer next time. That's it for episode 11. We appreciate everybody joining us today. Tell all your buddies to join us here next time and keep those emails coming. Adios. And we'll see you next month. Hasta la vista. Well, Tommy, yeah. what other uh, photo things are people wanting to know about? I'm probably fixing to have an interruption. My wife just walked in from the outside, and she don't know I'm taping, so. Well, Tommy, what does your wife think about all of this? <laughs> <laughs>